I'm doing an interview with the podcast. I'm whistleblowing. I'm telling the truth about everything the system does. Yes, I'm telling on every. I love a good whistleblow. to see it on a female. I think it would be <laughs> I admire the Golden Globes for finally this year opening the awards to non-actors. I think this is great. Jane Fonda admitted that she was bulimic in the 80s. I think we have to learn from this that it pays off. <laughs> oh, wait a second. Hair, fabulous. Makeup, flawless. Julie, fantastic. And Nicole looks nice also. She is... <laughs> It was gorgeous, and it was so sheer, you could almost see Milas Kunis. Anyway, I want to say thank you to Helena, because on this show, I constantly learn things that I didn't know. For example, did you know you could make hair extensions out of pubic hair? I had no idea. Heidi Klum. Oh. Wow. The last time a German looked this hot was when they were pushing Jews into the ovens. That is just... Joan Rivers, come back, come back from the dead, please. Save us from the woke. That was on like that wasn't on like a podcast too. That was on television. Oh it's my crazy how things God. have changed so fast. Dude. I also, Kesha, I, I got free tickets to her concert one time from work. Oh wow, did you go? I went on a date to the concert. This is a great story. First of all, in terms of like overall talent at like a Kesha concert, I have heard queefs with better pitch control. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was. <laughs> oh my god! It was an abomination to call that music, to call that live music. The girls come down. That's literally what it sounds like. <laughs> Ugh. Um. Oh, but yeah, I went on it. I went, I, this is a story. I think I might put it in my third book. I don't know. I'm bouncing around now, but, um, I met this guy at a party one time and, uh, I asked him on a date just very boldly and to have something to do. I got free tickets from work to the Kesha concert. So I was like, yeah. Hey, you know, I'm not like a Kesha fan, you yeah. know, yeah. uh, but it's something to do. So do you want to go to the Kesha concert? And he was like, yeah, why not? Like, you know, it's like a fun night out. So we went to the concert and we're standing there and he keeps looking at his phone. Like just just like everyone does that, but like very rudely. Right. And I said, please, there's a legendary musician on stage. <laughs> <laughs> when the place downtown, all the people come around. 300 pound chicks just bouncing up and oh down. Oh my God. Glitter everywhere, gays, <laughs> and he keeps looking at his phone. And I, I just called him out on it. I was like, "Why are you looking at your phone constantly? Like, yeah. it's like is something up." And he's like, "Uh, no, uh, no, no, nothing." And then we go to get a drink, take a break from the screaming in my ear, and uh, all of a sudden, a, a guy appears there, and it's my date and I, and a random guy, and he just starts talking to the guy, and they're having like a little uh, lovers quarrel <gasps> thing, right? And uh, in the middle of it, I just kind of look. I'm like, "What's going on? This oh is this God. is my date. Like, what's going on here?" And um, he's like, "Can I talk to you for a second? And he pulls me aside and he's like, "Um, 
so this guy here, this is uh, my boyfriend. <gasps> and he's like, you know, we we're kind of on the outs. And this is uh, kind of we're going to Cuba next week to kind of give our relationship like one last try. One old college try. And um, oh. and I'm staying there just like, What? He goes, yeah, and you know, and you were just such a great guy, and I just wanted to explore things with you, so that's why I said yes to the date. Uh, so now this is kind of what's happening, and the guy's standing there, and I, the three of us are just kind of standing in this weird little triangle, triangle of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> this is triangle, and I'm I can't even believe what's happening. And you obviously didn't know that he had a boyfriend and stuff, right? Like, and no clue. Okay. He didn't disclose, obviously, at Anything any point. To you, yeah. So, my friends had bought lawn tickets to the concert. So, Saeed and Bake were on the grass with yeah. one of Bake's coworkers, so the yeah. three of them. And I had these tickets that were maybe like 12th row. Right. So, I messaged them and I was like, Where are you guys? And they're like, Oh, we're on like the left side. Kind of describe where they are on the grass. And they're like, How's your date going? And I said, Well, his boyfriend just showed up. Oh. So, so uh, I said, I'm going to come join you on the grass. Yeah. And I said to, I turned to the guy, his name was Eric. And, and I turned, real- <laughs> and that's his real name. <laughs> Fuck that dude. And I turned to Eric and I said, you know what? I, I handed him the tickets. I was like, why don't you two go take the seats and enjoy the concert? You, I think I said disrespectful pig. I, I think that was something, something along those lines, some derivative of that. I said, I'm going to go hang out with my friends on the grass. Um, and as I head to the grass, well, the two of them, for some reason, start following following me Okay. behind. I didn't even know they were behind me to the point where when I got to the grass and said hi to my friends, my friends pointed behind me and were like, who are these people? And he had followed me because he felt bad and he wanted to like apologize. And so Bake says, who's this guy? And I was like, oh, this is uh, <laughs> this is my date and his boyfriend. They have followed me over to the grass. Oh my and I God. turned to the guy and I said, I gave you the tickets. Just get out of here. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't leave. I guess he just felt really bad. So yeah. he's standing by my friends and my friends are like, you know, I'm, this is crazy. I, th- I can't believe we're on your date. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, a date. Me too. I'm actually on someone else's date too. We're all on different dates. And then I was thinking, I'm like, I guess the boyfriend just bought a single ticket. Yeah, just to come see. Like I know you're on a date right now, but I miss you, and I bought a ticket, and I showed up. Stalky behavior. I don't think they're gonna last. Who knows? This was a really long time ago. Um, But then the guy's texting me, apologizing, right? And he said, "Like I'm six feet away," and he's texting me as you know the background's like, "Don't stop, make it pop," right? People are bouncing Ah! up and down. You know. Don't Fuck. stop, make it pop, mean it. My friends are dancing. People Dude, are just wasted. Yeah, and I'm just getting texts from him, like a barrage, one, two, yeah. three, four, after each one, and just saying, I'm really sorry about this. And then it said, uh, let me take you out for dinner next week to make it up for you, or You're make like, it up to you. Aren't you going to Cuba next week, bro? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I also was just like, I, I think I just turned to him, like, why don't you just say this to my face? You're right here. And then what I did was I blocked him when he was six feet away from me. I just blocked him and deleted the number. And I just turned to him. I showed him my phone. I was like, you're not even like a name in my phone anymore. Like, it's time to just 
leave and then eventually the two of them scurried off and that was all i that was all i knew oh my god yeah it was absolutely wild that's the gall crunching that you would do something like that to a person people are really just so self-absorbed they're just in their own, own world they just they want it all yeah they want it all Oh fuck! Did you did you feel like really bad, or did you like get over it very quickly because they were like so apologetic and? Like I think when someone kind of sours you on them that quickly, yeah. you really do get over it quickly because yeah. you're just like, oh, I have you know that saying my angel is like when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And I think yeah. for me it was just kind of like, oh, you're just like this is so, this is so awful what you've done. This is so disrespectful mm. that, yeah, it was just immediately one eighty. I think your body goes into some sort of protective. Mode. Right, right, right. Plus, it's so like again, you, as you said, like it was so like early in the relationship that you were like oh, relationship. I mean, <laughs> was it a relationship? Whatever, like early in the date, even like whatever, like it didn't even go to. Don't stop making pop. I hope you enjoyed last week with Steven. Um, we Stevon. had Stevon. Stevon. We had some microphone issues because, um, well, I don't know if people under know this, but Shivam has been slowly trying to take over the show. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine he's yes. just going to replace the cover art with him <laughs> because well, I was listening to the show <laughs> and I was, you know, just listening to the show back and forth. And, oh, yeah. Trying to trying to prove here and there. And then I realized this is a couple of weeks ago. I realized how much louder Shivam's microphone was than mine. And <laughs> I was like, well, that's like a sly tactic. So I go over to the board that we use, the roadcaster, and I, t- I, t- I press my, I press like, the volume thing and he was at a 21 and i was at an 18 and i don't remember putting those numbers <laughs> into the system so he slowly has increased the volume of his mic to sound more domineering on the program when did you do that i did not do that How, did i do it did you the cleaning did lady it. do it you i did not do it you did it you don't you didn't, you didn't remember when you did it but you did it i never touched those because like i just do it manually when i'm actually editing the show but like not here you you touch this stuff you don't remember it but it's like another one of my conspiracy theories <laughs> on the show yeah yeah the frogs are gay too <laughs> Alex Jones said the frogs are gay. And I, yeah, they are gay, and I fucked them. I fucked one. Can you even fuck a frog? Can you even fuck a frog? Yeah. They become like prince after you fuck them. Maybe he's onto something. There's one thing the gays will not be standing for it's the stove ban. I saw that, and I don't know if this is kind of, this is all over the place, but it was like basically for climate change. I think starting in New York, they're going to start banning the gas stoves. And I said, that's a great way to get the gays to vote Republican. Because <laughs> the gays normally vote, like, Democrat. But it's, like, yeah. the problem with a lot of gay guys is they're very... Uh, well, a lot of them have a lot of money, but it's also they're just very uh, particular about their luxuries in their life. Yeah. Sound familiar? Uh, Wait, what are they going to use if not stoves? Electric stoves. Ah, uh, you. I don't like those. But just gays, you know that you know gays, you know you know a gay in Brooklyn, yeah, tossing the olive oil, yeah, a little yeah. flambe. Of course, it's, it looks good. These are, this is the gay flamers love flames. Yeah, is how I would put it. <laughs> and this is the gays won't the gays won't stand for certain things. They will not stand for certain the loss of certain luxuries. <laughs> Lesbians will be fine. They'll just I don't know yeah. rub their coochies together and make a little fire. <laughs> Ha ha ha!
mash them together like a bunch of sticks. <laughs> We've been waiting for this moment. <laughs> do I have a lesbian demo? Some of our audience is lesbian. How do you know that? Does Spotify tell you that? How many times they've gone down on someone? <laughs> no, I look at the people and the audience and stuff. <laughs> So we're supposed to uh, have a prisoner on the program live from yeah, prison. Waiting. And what I will do is uh, normally I'm very understanding and then I publicly shame the person if they don't show up. So we'll just see how the episode progresses. But um, we wanted to have a prisoner on from one of these prisons. We're not going to disclose the prison for privacy reasons, but it's one of these prisons where they are allowing self-ID where a biological male can identify as a woman doesn't have to go on hormones or have any sort of surgery and can be moved over to the women's prison and a couple of the articles in the press have been about serial rapists getting moved to women's prison where a lot of these women statistically are victims of physical assault and sexual assault so it's particularly triggering for them and kind of what i said earlier on a previous episode with amy it's called transgender inmates if you want to check it out is that like i don't think that trans people are predatory by nature much more than any group but when you don't have guardrails on certain sections of society you're going to run in a situation where people are going to take advantage of the system and if you are a biological male prisoner and you're not trans you it would be a great idea to just move over to the woman's prison because you know i have less likelihood of getting killed so we wanted to have her on the program to talk about what's going on at her particular prison and then give us a little insight into life behind bars everything from gangs uh, every oh we're having her on okay so so there won't be a, any disparaging of her yeah so we just got a hold of the prisoner I don't know if we're revealing her name because Shivi thought that her name she seems like she's got a fake name he thought no, her don't, name don't was even say that don't, don't it's her Instagram name okay so yeah. so we're not going to disclose her name and we're not going to disclose her location but we're going to about to go live from prison. little context before we start here do you have actually transgender inmates that have transferred into your prison specifically oh yes okay. um we have the uh trans male to female and um I, I and in fact it for me i had some experiences where it felt like i had to renounce being feminine mm -hmm. uh renounce being identifying as female in order to have equal protection under the law <laughs> Jesus yeah, Christ. so I, I went, I went non-binary, just oh, for, just <laughs> wow. for equal protection. Uh, yeah, and still, and still, they're not recognizing that. It's, it feels like they're trying to just obliterate, you know, the female uh, population altogether. It, it certainly sounds like that in a lot of situations, particularly women's yeah. sports and and rape shelters and and different stuff like that. Yeah. So how long ago? Did did you have your first transgender inmate? Like, when did you guys kind of feel like things were changing around this, the self ID laws and allowing inmates to transfer in? Okay, so, sheesh. Well, it was January um, twenty twenty two when we first got our first. Well, not our first, but when we got our let's say first shipment of 
um, male to female inmates. However, we had already had, um, there was this, a guy who castrated himself so that he could come to a female's prison. He was incarcerated for um, rape and murder of this woman and her daughter. So he ended up, um, you know, in, in, in men's facilities, they're not, they're not kind. (laughs) They're not going to be gentle uh, to people who have, you know, raped and killed women and children. So he castrated himself to come to a female institution and they allowed him to come. Well, when he came, he started bullying women. He immediately started taking advantage and bullying women. So, um, they put him in the hole for a couple of years and then they let him back, you know, to the yard. But so he's pretty much been in the female institution probably for about 10 years now, but we got our male to female when the Senate bill passed, that was January, 2021. When we got our male to female, um, sorry, 2022, we got our male to female inmates and, um, it was a shit show. Just, just to sort of pause there, just to go a little, a little bit back. So, why did he, this biological he, she, but let's say biological male that you're talking mm-hmm. about, why did they castrate themselves? Was that because before there wasn't self ID laws, so there were more guardrails to yes. say like you could only come in if you were legitimately on hormones or her had surgery? Yes. Um, okay. Now listen to this. You can. They couldn't legitimately come in um, if they were on hormones. So they had to not possess a penis. Right. In order to come in. So when you say castration, does that mean chemical castration or does that mean surgical uh, He took castration? a rope and he took a rope and sawed his... Uh, oh, my God. Jesus his Christ. Off. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. So then you're saying that the laws became more expansive and that they were saying that, okay, now we don't want to define transgender as being specifically someone who castrates themselves. So anyone who identifies as a woman can come into the prison. When was that? And how did you guys become uh, apprised of, of that? Okay. Um, so we have been hearing about it. Uh, for a couple years prior to 2022 when they first started coming in, um, they had been saying that calling town hall meetings and telling us that um, this is a possibility, these things are happening. Um, then, out of nowhere, I think it was uh, December 2021, uh, an officer made her morning announcement and she said, because she always did these specific morning announcements, she said, ladies, this is no joke. The men are really coming. You better fight to kill. Jesus and um, at that point, uh, my, blood, my blood ran cold in my body. Um, I have been abused by men since I was a little girl. I have been raped and um, molested. Then I was um, taken. I was I was a, I was in the missing and exploited children database until I was in my twenties. I was taken and I was sex trafficked. So um, the I had a deep rooted fear of men. Um, I had a 
an idea in my head that um, men were dangerous and that's just what how I because of my experiences so my blood ran cold I was I was scared and I gathered a group of my friends and we started making weapons um never in my life never in my life would I think of did I think I would have to be breaking down metal objects in you know a prison cell sharpening them on the cement floor with water or baby powder you know um so we started making weapons and it was a protocol no longer are we going to wear our shower shoes like our our sandals outside because these this is how in the male prisons this is how they're socialized they bear arms they're they never go anywhere without a weapon um they go together in twos or more and um that you don't wear sandals in the men's facilities because you can easily be caught slipping and you know get hurt well now they have these group of people who identify as female or non-binary and they're coming here but they've been socialized uh to think the way male prisoners think now it's two totally different things two totally different mentalities when you you you've been it institutionalized in a male prison or institutionalized in a female's prison two two totally different things so yeah that was very scary for us i hope i answered the question no no i i'm sorry i'm I'm mostly in shock i i just (laughs) i'm just trying to pull myself together now when you when you went to i don't know if it's the warden or if you went to the management of the prison and said you know this not only am i triggered and this feels very traumatizing but um this doesn't feel fair what did they say to you? Oh, wait. No, I never had an opportunity to uh, go to anybody and say this doesn't feel fair. Uh, we were threatened with um, disciplinary action. Um, if we, let's say we called one of them um, a bitch, a faggot. Excuse my language, but, you know, these are things people say it's to okay. each other I when that, they're I upset. use that word during sex. It's fine. Okay. (laughs) So let's say if we were we called them a name, they were gonna charge us with a hate crime. Wow. We were threatened to be charged with a hate crime. So there was no speaking up, there was no speaking out. Uh one thing that was interesting to me was there was they mind you, when they first brought the male to female inmates here, they put them in the unit that I was housed in. And they housed them down the hallway that I was in. They basically were in isolated situations where they had to be down that hallway uh, so that they can monitor them. And within the first week, um, one of the the one of those folks uh, was having sex with a lady, you know. And the lady Cons- ended up essentially. Okay, so. See, now this is something that I, I talk to my son about all the time because it's very hard to, there's a fine line with the word consent when you're dealing with a broken person. Um, I know for myself, personally, I had sexual relations with people I never wanted to have sex with, but because that's how I had been used and socialized and basically nurtured right that wasn't my nature but i was nurtured that way from a small child i found myself in situations where i felt like i had no choice 
but I never wanted to do that. So yeah, I consented, but really mentally, emotionally, I didn't really have the capacity to consent because I really wasn't, I didn't develop properly. So this lady initially, I guess it was consent, but she ended up going to the administration and saying, you know, no, I felt forced. I felt like I didn't have a choice. So yeah, she said, yeah, but, and now she's contracted herpes. Jesus so when she went to the management and said that, what did they say? That you consented? Uh, they ended. They locked the individual up. They locked the male to female um, person up in Atag, and um, yeah. Before that, had you had any inmates? I don't want to use. I don't know if this is the right way to say it, but I mean, this podcast is exactly the most PC. But People. you know, legitimately tra- trans, because I imagine there is legitimately trans inmates have you had someone who you didn't feel like was taking advantage of the system like it actually was just someone who wanted to live their life fully as a trans person oh hell no Uh -uh. (laughs) even they oh you know what no there was one there was one person um what did she say about all this uh, she okay it wasn't what she said it's what she did so people can come and say anything right but it's how the, their actions that uh, that show me what's going on. So now this person uh, never par- has still here, never participated in the girlfriend situation in the um, over, uh, you know, basically like coming into the privacy of you know female space. Um, I call her she. Uh, she has always being clear about like, oh no, I am uncomfortable with those things. I don't want that, you know, around me. I want to make, make sure you guys are comfortable and I'm not here for a relationship and things like that. She pretty much does her program. She's into her religion and um, she's not, you know, trying to, doesn't seem like she's trying to really manipulate the system. These other folks though, they, as soon as they get here, they're getting girlfriends. Um, We just had, uh, we just had one person who, we had a, a graduation in the auditorium and the natives were doing a dance, um, like a celebration dance. So one of the girls it happens to be roommate with one of the male to female inmates and she couldn't dance because, you know, her vagina was burning. She had contracted an STD from um, this person. And this person has made it known, like, I'm only here because I'm not going to live the rest of my life without pussy. Yeah. Now, how many fi- uh, male to female inmates are in the prison right now? Um, I lost count. Oh my I lost God. count. I I stopped. Uh, yeah, I stopped counting. I had I moved from the unit. It put a, a lot of strain on my marriage. Um, living in that unit, it's hard. First of all, having a long distance relationship, and then um, now with this this new. I was in the shower one day and um, I would never want to be in the shower when the male to female inmates were in there. It just hadn't been naked around a man in a lot of years. And um, I don't, just like where I'm expected to identify them as female, I don't. I've been socialized too. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just supposed to see them as female. No, I see them the way that I've been socialized sure. and that's just what it boils down to. So, um, 
I mean, so I'm uncomfortable being in the shower with this man, any male. Um, unless it's my husband, I'm not cool with it. So I'm in the shower and somebody else is in the first stall. I'm in the third stall. And I, I always look up. I always look up and I always look around. But for whatever reason, it took me a little bit of time to look up because it's kind of disgusting. Prison showers are kind of disgusting. Um, and I looked up and this motherfucker had a mirror stuck to the light of the metal at the ceiling of the shower so he could see into other stalls. Oh, oh, and um, I put my robe on. I ran out of the shower and I told the officer, I was no, first I was like, I shouldn't have said anything because the officer could have caught his ass. I shouldn't have said anything, but I flipped, I spazzed. I couldn't, I spazzed. Because um, I'm ready. I, I was just, just hyper-vigilant, ready for war. Um, because, m- number one, my rights are already being violated. It's, it's like I'm, I don't even matter and to, you know, the system. So I, I'm ready to just hop up and stand up for myself and other women as well. Um, so I said, what the fuck do you, are you having, you're watching me? You have a mirror on the ceiling? And I ran out and I told the officer. And by the time the officer came in there, there was no mirror there. So there was nothing um, to be done about it. Are other female prisoners going into the showers with weapons to protect themselves? Um, the, so I don't, the, yes, they are. There's women that I know for sure that we got together and we made this pact that um, we are going to bear arms because they're bringing men here, putting us in a situation where um, we don't think like them. Now we need to think like them. We need to be war ready. So, yeah, other female inmates do go to the shower with weapons. How many? I don't know. But I know there's a few of me and mine. We go with weapons. When the trans inmates get transferred to the prison that are clearly taking advantage of the system, I know it's hard to, to decipher who, but I, I'm, I'm sure it's also not hard in many ways. Do they start mm-hmm. to group together into, like, the, the groups of, of these, let's say, trans women that are taking advantage? Do they start to become little cliques within the prison? Yeah, so, no. I haven't seen them become little cliques. Uh I've seen them um, have issues over women. Uh, they they pretty much they pretty much flock to women and to female inmates, and um, that's the, that's what they're here. For. Some of them that's what they're here for. So that's what they're doing. Uh, I had one who lived across the hall from me. Go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Your stories are incredible. Go ahead. I I, I have one who lived across the hall from me. And mind you, I had been in this uh, particular cell for, this particular cell had been in the cell for um, about almost two years at that point. And uh, I even took a video of it. I, I'm going to look for it and I'll send it to you. There's, there were mushrooms, mold and fuzz and stuff growing out of the wall. And mites, it was disgusting. And I would bleach it, I would scrub it, I would cut it, I would, I'd lawn mow my, my wall, basically. Now, this male to female inmate moved in across the hall from me and was here six weeks. And they renovated this dude's whole cell. Renovated his whole cell. They painted, they took everything out, they patched every hall, they fixed everything. But mind you, I've been putting in work order after work order after work order requesting, and I'm sitting here breathing this toxic mold. And But now that this person comes, they get special treatment. 
It just doesn't feel right to me. Are any, are any of them getting turned away or they all just declare trans and they're within the prison within a specific period of time? So I'm not sure, but if any of them are getting, I can't answer that as if that's a fact because I'm not in their committee process. But what happens is in order for a male to female inmate or any inmate, because I can say that I identify as male and I can go to a men's prison. Um, any inmate that identifies as something other than what they are. I'm sorry, you don't want to say that. If they identify with as female, doesn't matter what hormones you're on. It doesn't matter what biological sex parts you have. Um, it doesn't matter what chromosomes you have. You can be, you will be placed in a female institution if you request it and you cannot be turned down. So you think it's only a matter of time where until they all just start moving over? Like at some point, is anyone going to raise their hand and say this can't go on anymore? Um, well, shit, we're raising our hands. You know, we're, we're making waves, but uh, for the most part, yes. And I don't think it's going to stop until something serious happens and, um, you know, the Department of Corrections gets hit with a lawsuit and a lawsuit that they don't have immunity under, right? But, um, oh, dang, there was something I was going to tell you my mind it'll come back to me it came to me like three or four times well what is the status of the lawsuit i know there's a couple lawsuits but do you particularly know of one right now that's going through the courts that would put a stop to some of this um i don't really know the status of the lawsuits amy knows more about the status of those lawsuits i have um i actually just signed a retainer for an attorney because i was sexually assaulted by a male guard and after that, that's when I went non-binary because I said, well, I don't have any rights as female, but maybe I'll have more rights under this Senate bill if I'm non-binary, right? So, yeah, I just started, um, I just signed a retainer for my own lawyer to start a lawsuit. But I don't know the status of, you know, the lawsuit about um, what's going on with these you mentioned you've, you've lost count of how many there are. Can you give us an idea yeah. of what percentage of the prison? Like, I, we don't want to do, say where you are, but, you know, if there's a thousand yeah. inmates, what percentage of them are male to females that are taking advantage of these self-ID laws? I would say that right here where I am, there's probably about... Are, this population can hold up to 2,000 uh, people. I think our numbers are kind of low though right now. I think we're, I would say we are maybe at 1,000 um, people. So maybe, sheesh, I, I couldn't say, because it's been a long time since I've um, gone out to interact, but definitely, I would say definitely at the minimum 10% of People here are male to female um, abusing the system. And that number was one person, you're saying, a few years ago? Yeah, a few years ago, it was just one person doing that. But what it is is because they have, because of the incidences that had transpired, right, they slowed up the transfers. Oh, this is why. This is Now, let me tell you this. See, uh, the Department of Corrections, they really made a big mistake when um, there's something called SNY yard. 
sensitive needs yard. And the sensitive needs yard were for individuals who had raped women and children, gang dropouts, things of that nature. Yards in the in in, in male institutions or female institutions where they could be safe. Well, they closed down those S and Y yards and they forced immigration. And this is before that Senate bill passed. And it's like they 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 put these people in dangerous situations when they closed down the S and Y yards. There was no rhyme or reason to, only to push the agenda of the Senate bill to say, okay, we no longer have S and Y yards, so but we have the Senate bill and we can do something different, right? So they closed down those S and Y yards to push the agenda of the Senate bill, and that's what where it did put a lot of people in in, in danger and in jeopardy, you know, but. <clears throat> It just didn't make sense to, they could have kept those yards open and um, those people would not have been in danger like that. Are, are any of the, I imagine that there aren't many or possibly any female to male prisoners wanting to move to a more violent environment. Um, no, um, not at all. The female to male prisoners, well, female to male prisoners, they, all the ones that I know, um, they, when it comes to, when it comes to relationship wise, they choose females to be in a relationship with. So if they go to another prison, they're not going to be able to be with their, their significant other. So they don't, they really don't want to go do that. And they know that they know how the male, um, inmates are going to react to them. Like, showing them like you're a woman i'm going to show you that you're a woman right so so i'm thinking yeah yeah so but my thoughts are if you say you have someone that's genuinely trans man like trans man like female to male and wants to mm -hmm. live as their true self and they're currently in the female prison that you're in if tomorrow they start taking hormones and say have surgery Oh, it's someone's birthday. <laughs> Day <Yeah>. to you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> put us on speaker. Um, no, no, they, they can't know. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Very covert. Um, so say they were, let's say, legitimately trans. They were a born female, but they said, you know, I, I feel like a man. I have gender dysphoria. I'm on hormones, surgery. Do they stay in the female prison? Or then are they moved to the male prison? Because I feel like then it's like what I'm leaning into there. It's, it's sort of like it's a more violent environment. So I feel like if I were a trans man in that situation, I would do whatever it took to stay in the female prison still. Yeah, definitely. Um, the crazy part about it is it's a matter of choice. So I hear you saying, asking if they have surgeries, if they take the hormones, and if they have this gender identification, um, are they then therefore, do they have an opportunity to go to a male facility? You don't even have to have the hormones, the surgery, or the only thing that a person has to say is, I identify as male or female or non-binary, and I would feel safer are more comfortable in a male institution or female institution, regardless of the hormones, regardless of your your biological member, and uh, regardless of you know any any of those other factors. It doesn't matter. All you have to do is say, "This is what I identify, and this is where I feel safer," and that's it. 
when you when you identified as non-binary, was that a personal protest or did it come with some sort of advantages? Oh shit! I thought it would come with advantages, but they don't have no respect. Yeah, yeah <laughs> they don't. They don't put no respect on my gender. <laughs> well, no, I get I get what you're saying. Like when people raise the idea that it's the erasure of women in certain ways because you know certain mm-hmm. female spaces, but I just didn't know if when you said you were non-binary, if then it came with certain advantages because if if you're non-binary, they would still, I don't like. It sounded like you said it in protest to that a, a male guard had violated you, and so you had identified as non-binary. Was I'm trying to get it? Is that was that like a personal protest to say like I'm not being taken care of, and this is the erasure of women, or was that exactly? Yeah, okay. It was a protest. Yes, exactly. Um, I, you know, sometimes I'm in my masculine, sometimes I'm in my feminine. Uh, just like I say. You know, I'm woke, but I'm not all the way woke. I've been socialized to see myself as female. Sure. Uh, sometimes I, I feel inadequate because I don't live up to those gender, you know, ideas of what uh, female means. But this is how I've been programmed my entire life. So it takes a lot of, you know, peeling back those layers of that onion to get to the core of it. So when I did though, um, declare myself as non-binary, it was definitely in a protest because I, you know, and I don't know why God made me an activist, but he did. And I just, I can't shut up and I can't sit still about injustices. Uh, I just won't do it. I just won't do it. I've seen so many and, and for so long I never had a voice. So even if it's something as simple as changing my gender identity in a computer system, I am going to do it um, as an act of protest. I'm going to stand up. Yeah. Are, are any other inmates doing the same thing? I tried to get them to do it. I was trying to start a movement. <laughs> I would really I throw off the start... numbers if everyone was non-binary in the whole prison. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to start a movement. But um, it's kind of hard to convince people that um, it's so hard to convince people uh, to stand up. Stand in solidarity with me um, for this cause, you know, because there's a lot of people who feel like, who feel defeated. And I understand the feeling of defeat. Don't get me wrong. I've felt defeated um, so many times that I would, I, I just laid there. So I understand the feeling of defeat, but, uh, and I recognize it. I recognize it's a spirit. It's a bad spirit of defeat. I recognize it when I'm faced with it because that same spirit has been on me. So yes, I have tried to get women to um, go non-binary, to stand up, to, um, to write grievances, but um, it's, it's kind of difficult battling against that spirit of defeat. So <clears throat> instead of allowing myself to get discouraged, I just um, I just do my part, and hopefully somebody follows <laughs> or somebody hears. Yeah. Do you feel like the system <clears throat> is completely forgotten about you? Oh, definitely, hmm. definitely. Um, it's. Okay, so we have a, out here we have a system called the Board of Parole Hearings. And in order to be released, um, some people, depending on what, how much time you've been given, you have to go before the parole board and go through like basically an interview process. But during this interview process, they gaslight you, they use a lot of a, um, 
um, your words are taken out of context. They're twisting things, um, trying to trigger you and get a rise out of you. So, so thus far since 2022, when the male to female inmates came, all the ones that went to the board uh, hearing from here have been found suitable. But women, and mind you, they manipulated the system. And the the purpose, I guess, of the board hearing is to make sure that you're no longer a threat to society, right? Now, these are these are male to female inmates, men who have literally came out of their mouth and said, hey, I'm just here because I wasn't going to live my whole life without pussy, you know? Um, I'm just happy to be around women. It's been so long since I've been around women. It's like candy land here. These are the statements that they said. So, and then they go to the board hearing and, and they're shown so much sympathy that all of them that have gone to the board hearing in the last year have been released. But, and, and I've seen women, you know, rolled over for five years, three, five years, women that I know personally who have, who would never, you know, take the same route that they did, make the same decisions that they did in the past. And, and these women are, are terribly terrified to make any wrong moves. Me, I am a rebel. <laughs> I'm a rebel. And I, so, yeah, I'm not supposed to have a cell phone, but it's like, um, rules are meant to be broken. Day, <laughs> yeah, straight up. And and nobody ever changed the world without being first called a troublemaker. Right. Yeah. So I taught myself what I taught myself financial literacy. I learned how to um, repair credit. I learned how to, um, start and run a business. Um, and I, but I've passed that information to my family. I've helped my family. I, um, I've helped my son start two businesses. He has a video game, a business where he builds video games and also, um, a t-shirt business where he sells an experience. People can come to his booth and tie dye their own shirt. Right. So, um, these are, that's that generational curse that I'm breaking that you don't have to go work for somebody else. Right. You can build your own economy for your family and you can, you know, we don't have to, why are their, why are their investments, our liabilities, Right. So this is what um, I've taught myself and I've been able to hand the information over to my family. Like my mother has rented for 60 years, you know, and now she's about to be a homeowner. So these are things that, my family never thought it was possible, but through this contraband cell phone, I have gained knowledge just reading and researching things. And of course, the institution isn't teaching me this. What What is the rate of recidivism for the prison you're in? Hold on one second. Okay, hold on one second. No problem. I'm sorry, what did you say? I said, what is the rate of recidivism for the prison you're in? Mm, I'm not sure the recidivism rate. But what I do know is that um, what is a fact in, in the, 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 the individuals who have been sentenced with a small slap on the wrist, they always come back. We call them lifers on the installment plan. And then the people who have that I've seen who have basically lost their lives and regained that, um, they go home to, to and I never see them come back. But man, I've seen so many people come back that, you know, just over and over and over. And it's, it's, it's hurtful. It's hurtful to see um, 
people not really caring or or having uh, the desire or are just being compelled to do the same thing over and over, right? That doesn't get them any good results. It's do you think it's more so that they have a sense of community on the inside, but then they potentially move out and try to start a new life and feel very isolated? Um, you know what? I definitely think that plays a big role. Um, mm-hmm. There's that, and especially if they don't have that uh, support system at home, um, it's, I, I believe it's because we, we build families in here. Prison is the longest I've been one place in my entire life. How long have you been in prison? Um, uh, 15 years now. And how much longer do you have in your sentence? Um, I'm not sure. I was sentenced seven years to life. Um, I had, I had, like I said, I had been through a lot of abuse. Um, I had was taken at uh, 11, about to be 12, in sex traffic. So the way that I was nurtured was, and I, I was living off of survival mode, basically, my entire life. Um, and I had untreated mental illness. Um, I was self-medicating with substances. And I was, um, I, I took on characteristics of my abusers because I thought, in my mind, I thought that's what would keep me safe, that men were aggressive, men men fought for themselves, they stood up for themselves, and nobody hurt males. So I took on uh, that identity because I was lost. Um, and I, I didn't, I wasn't taught another way how to protect myself. And um, I ended up having an altercation and somebody attacked me and it, it didn't end up I, you know, I spazzed, I spazzed out and that's something that I have to live with. I hurt somebody really bad. Um, and, and this is why I tell people, do not pick on anybody. You never know what somebody's going through. That person could be going through something so detrimental. There could be so much pressure in that pipe that when it explodes, you get that metal inside of you, you know? So you never know what somebody's going through. So just be kind. And that's the situation that it was with me. They didn't know what I was going through. They didn't know what fears I had. They didn't. Nobody knew that I had what was had been sex trafficked. That I was afraid of of looking weak and you know those things. So I was sentenced seven to life. Um, I got a lot of healing when I came to prison. I came to prison with a fourth grade education. Now I'm working on my bachelor's degree in sociology. I have a degree from Baylor in business. I have. Um, um, I'm a certified drug and alcohol counselor. Um, I'm a child of God, right? So I've learned how to um, I learned how to build myself up in a positive way, and I've taken a lot of therapy. So I've I've done a lot of transformation, but I have not been given the opportunity to go home. However, there are different Senate bills now that. Like one Senate bill, if you're a victim of being sex trafficked, um, yeah, and in my situation, they didn't look at mitigating factors. They never looked at any mitigating factors. Even the person that I was arrested with, they they knew if they put him on the stand that they would never have been able to sentence me the way that they did because he would have told the truth and they would have saw that I was that shit crazy, that I did not have it 
that I was emotionally unwell. I was under the influence. Um, and this, the, the act took within 12 minutes, I, I changed my life, this other person's life and, and the lives of my children and her children. Right. So they would have been, they would have been forced to recognize mitigating factors. But my attorney said, when I had told my attorney, like, you know, these are the things that I went through. She told me that, no, they only listen to that for white women. This is what I I was told. Mm -hmm. They only listen to that and consider that for white women. This is what my attorney had told me. So I'm not, and me, I was, I was so ignorant. I only had a fourth grade education. I didn't know that that wasn't the case. I was just defeated during the whole trial. I just checked out and colored pictures, you know? And that's not somebody who's per- that's not somebody who's 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 perfectly okay to sit there and be on trial. How do you go through every day not being resentful the, over the fact that your childhood and innocence was stolen from you? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I sometimes I have to give it to God every single day. Um. I can't say that I'm not, not that I'm completely void of resentment um, because I'm still, I still find myself having to give it back to God, give it back to God, give it back to God. Lord, take this. Um, it, it's very difficult. It has been a challenge to find value in myself when um, to redefine my value, right? Um, and not see everybody as more important than me because that, that's what would go through my mind when I was little. I would, even when I, my mom had me, we, we slept outside, we were homeless, you know, and I, I didn't understand why other children were taken care of and I wasn't. You know, I had to wear my mother's, my mother's whole clothes. I'd had to wear my mother's whole clothes to school, you know, her, her mini skirts and her, or holy stockings and, and they smell bad. You know, I didn't understand why, um, I couldn't be valued as well, you know, and even stories that my mother has told me about using, <clears throat> using drugs while she was pregnant, using drugs while she breastfed me, smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. So I didn't come out big and my, I'm a mother and nothing in the world, made me want to put something in my body that was going to, and I'm an avid marijuana smoker. I love the shit, but I wouldn't touch it while I was pregnant. I didn't want to put anything in my body that could, I wanted to put this child first. I, I, to this day, it's kind of a challenge to understand. I mean, I understand illnesses and diseases and, and, you know, mental deficiencies, but it's still, it, it hurts. It really hurts, and sometimes it puts a strain on my marriage because um, I have intimacy issues. You know, <sighs> I hope I didn't go on a tangent. No, no, my God, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kind of frozen. I don't really yeah. get to have these conversations all the time, so I'm, I'm really grateful yeah. that you came on. Um, yeah, no problem. Even one time when I was I was four, I was in a foster home, and me and this kid named Jeremy, and Jeremy was um, Jeremy was a a little boy who had been in the foster home because his mother hit him in the middle of the head with a high heel. I'll never forget about Jeremy. But, and this is when I realized, this is when I realized that, because my mother, she's a dark-skinned black woman. Um, she's Afro-Caribbean, dark, beautiful skin. As a, as a baby, as a little girl, 
I didn't know that I was different from my mother. I have much lighter complexion. I didn't know I was different from my mother. Um, I'm, I'm mixed. My father's French Canadian. So I'm looking at my mother and I'm, I'm, cause my father was never around. Um, I was told that I didn't have my dad and his family because they didn't accept no nigga baby. Right. I didn't really understand what that meant, but I just knew that my dad didn't want me. So I'm looking at my mother and I identify with my mother's family. And I don't know that I look any different from my mother. Well, when I'm putting these foster homes with, um, you know, darker skinned people, uh, I'm, I look to them like family. I felt that connection because of what I had seen with my mother and I tried to draw near to them and they were very abusive. That was, that was my first experience of colorism. Um, and me and this other kid named Jeremy, he was a, a light skinned, uh, a black guy too. And we were not allowed in the house the entire day. We had to stay outside like dogs. Um, we weren't allowed to eat, uh, we couldn't come in and use a restroom. We, they, they would say, we're running in and out. So we had to stay outside the entire day like dogs. And then later in the evening, we would be allowed to come in. Well, Jeremy and I had to use the bathroom so bad. So we both took a shit in this bucket. Um, well, when they discovered that we had shit in this bucket, they came outside and they forced Jeremy and I to eat our own feces. Mind you, our feces was mixed together. So I'm eating a mixture of my shit and Jeremy's shit, and he's eating, he's doing the same thing, you know? Um, that's why when people sit here, <laughs> I've heard so many women in here say, this flu tastes like shit. In the back of my mind, I'm like, girl, you have no flu. <laughs> you don't know what shit tastes oh like, baby. Sit down. <laughs> wow, that's dark. Wow. Sit down, yeah. Damn. Girl, sit out. Damn. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I experienced I experienced a lot of just due to poverty, neglect. Um, sorry, can uh, I, sorry to interrupt here, but well, this is an awkward moment to cut in the interview, but we decided to cut right here because later on, Re talks about trafficking in the system, in the foster system, the amount of people that are involved, and then sort of how the entire system was stacked up against her when she went into her trial, and they didn't take into account all these extra factors around why she was charged with attempted murder and it's so deep. i'm surprised it wasn't frankly you know it kind of it's kind of crazy to say that like attempted murder after what she's been through kind of sounds really mild yeah because i probably would have murdered a lot of people a line she said she said like when she got arrested that saved her life was so like Holy shit, like, that's a good thing. Like, getting arrested is, like, a good thing in someone's life. the cycle of abuse finally ceased. Oh, my God. So, the rest of the interview with Re is on the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Podcast. If you want to join us, you can also watch the show every week, the video on there. And we're going to continue to reach out to Re, other inmates, get these stories out over, if you guys know anything, um, unmentionablepodcasts at gmail.com, or if you know anyone, sorry. Sorry, I'm, I'm kind of a lost for words after that, yeah. after the uh, Patreon content. Um, if you know anyone that's in the system and wants to get their story out or sort of give us some insight on what it's like behind bars, we are open to having them on unmentionablepodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to join us on Patreon for the rest of the interview right now, hop on over. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.